technical issues. Okay, at this time, brethren, we're blessed to have our first message for today brought to us by Mr. David Andrews. It is entitled, The Feast of Tabernacles, The Marriage of the Lamb and You. I can say good morning because I think it's still morning. Have we had a good feast so far? Awesome. Let me make sure that I'm not speechless here. Stealing Reggie's joke. So I need to do something here real quick. And this is for your benefit, not mine. I have to keep track of my time. I have a tendency of blathering on and on and on. So we've been here for seven days feasting, and we've heard a lot of tremendously good messages, scripture-based messages, viewpoints, parallels, perspectives, and they're all a blessing. They're all beneficial. They're all good. But I'm going to present a slightly different perspective on this. And this isn't to take away from anything that's been said or any perspective that has been given. It is to simply shine a light in a way that I think I've seen these holy days one way and recently I've started to discover them in another way or rather uh, look at them in another way. And I have found that while brevity is the soul of wit, it also tends to be the death of detail. And so when we delve into some of these little things, it's very difficult to actually condense it down without taking three or four hours up here. So I'm going to do the best I can so that we can actually move along with this and have something enriching. So, we have a series of days, the Moedim, the holy days we call them, the appointed times of God, and they all represent something, and they all point to something, and I think in some ways they are, they are representative of the same thing. All of them are pointing to Christ, and all of them are pointing to the kingdom. But I think specifically, we miss something because we, as a culture, have gone so far away from traditional ways and biblical ways that we don't even think of it in this, in this manner. And what I really want to talk about today is marriage. Yes, marriage. Marriage. <laughs> marriage is what brings us together today. That blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. I think everybody here knows where that comes from. Now, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not that kind of marriage, nor that kind of wedding ceremony. It is the old, the biblical type. It is the real and true marriage, and it is the marriage that we should be looking to, it is the marriage that we should be striving for, and it is the marriage 
that God desires to have with his people. And yes, we are married to him. But to get into this, I have to kind of sum up a, a little bit of the, the old traditional marriage and how it worked. And see, see if you don't recognize some of these aspects. So the marriages of old would work something like this. So let's suppose a young man is seeking a wife, or perhaps his mother or father are seeking a wife for him. And they find a young maiden, and she's attractive in many ways, industrious, beautiful, and she comes from a good home. And so the first thing that they would do is they would go to the father, and they would present the offering of marriage, and they would pay a price of redemption. Now this, this isn't buying her. This is to show that this young man is worthy of her because she has value to her father in her father's house. And he's not going to give her away to just any schlub out there. He's going to, he's going to accept an offering of marriage only from somebody who is worthy. And part of this comes from this price of redemption. So once this is agreed upon and the price of redemption is paid, they set a time and they actually make a covenant. And they agree in this covenant. And a token of the covenant is given. And at this point, they're actually married. But they are not together yet. You see, at this point, it is time for the young man to go back to his father's house and to build a house in his inheritance in which he will bring his bride. Is it starting to sound a little familiar? And, of course, he's not, he hasn't been married yet. So how is he to know when his house is ready? What is he supposed to do? So his father is the one that is in charge of determining when this house is complete. And when the time comes and the father thinks that he has reached the completion of his house in which he will bring his bride, he tells his son, it's time, go fetch your bride. And a call is sent out and there are attendants that are sent to meet this bridegroom who is coming to fetch his bride. It's a beautiful depiction. And of course, there has to be some way of, of letting everybody know, and so there is often, a, it's called the marriage cry, or a trumpet is sounded when the bridegroom is sent. And of course, the bridegroom, the bridegroom comes, and he is there to take his bride. Now, of course, the wedding has to be prepared. The guests are called in. And it is now time for the wedding feast. Now in our modern culture, this actually kind of becomes a little uncomfortable. Because we don't, we don't do things this way. As a matter of fact, it seems very old, well, I would say old-fashioned, but uh, we, we, we get kind of embarrassed talking about this sort of stuff. 
Now, this is no ordinary feast that is being set. This is a big deal. There is all kinds of wine. There's all kinds of food. Of course, you have to have the guests that are brought in to this feast. And this feast begins, and the party is raging on. The wine is flowing, and the food is being consumed. And then the bride and groom are brought together, and they are sent into their tent, their honeymoon suite, if you will, where they actually finally consummate covenant that they have made. Now this doesn't happen one day. It doesn't happen two days. The traditional wedding feast was a seven day event. Does that sound familiar? It's a big deal. There's a little bit more that I will bring up about this in a moment. But I want to take this down a road that is personal because it's about a covenant. Marriage is about a covenant. And it is a big deal. The relationship we have with our God is a covenant. And it is a big deal. And both of them are blood covenants. And they are not to be taken lightly. Your body is not your own. Whether in marriage or in a covenant with God, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. I'm going to read a few scriptures here. I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife has not power over her body, but the husband. And likewise, the husband has not power of his body, but the wife. Let's back it up a bit. And let's look at the other covenant we have made. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have a covenant made. And there's a price that is paid for the redemption of the bride. And there again, like I said, I can't go into too much detail, so we have to condense this. I want to touch on a few of them. And here is the price of redemption. Matthew 26, verse 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And of course, the covenant that we are in now, that we are waiting for the time in which the bridegroom will come for his bride, was of course foretold. And I was kind of nervous yesterday with Art's message because I was thinking he was going to read this passage, but it's, it lines up beautifully. 
But here is the covenant foretold, and there, there is so much more to this than what we read on the page. In Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, that I will put my law in their inward parts and will write in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his neighbor saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. They shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Has this day happened yet? Does every man and woman know God? Do they know the law? Do they know the covenant? Do they know the price that is paid? This time is yet to come. I was once told by a pastor that I knew years ago, that Israel is cast away and no more and is not in the kingdom. And that didn't set well with me. Now I, I understand because where he was coming from because Israel is divorced of God. God handed Israel a writing of divorcement. And I think it's one of the most pivotal Scripture, one of the most pivotal prophecies in the Bible, and we, we hardly ever regard it, but it is Hosea. Hosea is the divorce decree, the writing of divorcement to Israel. But within that writing of divorcement, an establishment of mercy is laid. A foundation for mercy is laid in that. And I want to read a part of that established prophecy of mercy unto Israel. This is Hosea 2, verse 16. And it shall be at that day, says the Lord, that thou shalt call me husband. It says Ishi here, but that is actually husband in the Hebrew, or man. And shall, know, and shall call me no more Bali, Lord. For I will take away the name of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven, with creeping things on the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword battle out of the earth, and I will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth you unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth you unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. And I will even betroth you unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will hear, says the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And all these things are obviously referring to passages. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them, which are not my people, 
Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. The price of redemption has been paid. The bride of the Lamb is being established. I'm going to step back just a moment in this, and we're going to look at a few other aspects of this price of redemption and the house being prepared. In John 14, 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The price has been paid. The bridegroom is building the house. But he is not the one in charge of when it is complete. Because only the Father has authority over the Son, and the Father is the one who is going to say, it is time. Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Only the Father knows when the house is complete. So, we have a, a few images of this bride and who the bride is and where the bride is being built. I'm going to read a few more things before I get a little further into this concept. This is Revelation 21.9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto the stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a great wall, or had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the twelve gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The bride. The bride of the Lamb. The great city that we all look to, that we look for in the coming kingdom. You notice how it is Israel that establishes the gates. It is Israel that is entering into this city. Now, I'm not saying that it is only Israel, because all who make a covenant with God are Israel. Now, that sounds a little peculiar. Now, Reg mentioned a definition of Israel coming from the wrestling match that took place. But it literally means to strive 
with God. Now, there's actually two ways you can look at this word as it's written as strive. There is to fight against, and there's also to walk with. And when you make a covenant and you walk according to the covenant, you are, in effect, Israel. We have a gift. We have been purchased with a price. But our body is not our own. We are not purchased that we may be free to do what we will, but we are purchased. We are purchased to become his bride. In essence, the expansion, the eternal expansion of the kingdom. The kingdom whose increase shall see no end. Let's look at this marriage supper of the Lamb as well. Let's step back into... Revelation 19, verse 6. And as, as I heard, sorry, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And to her was, and, and he said unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. That's a pretty powerful thing, isn't it? It almost seems like there's two things that are occurring here. You have the great city that represents the bride. But where are the guests? Blessed are they who are called in to the marriage feast of the Lamb. We are bought with a price. And we are told to be vigilant. We are told to be aware to be alert, to be watching and waiting, because we know not the day nor the hour. And here is the warning. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them are wise and five were foolish. We've all read this. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered. And at midnight the cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. That's a terrifying thing to think of. And of course we know the rest of the story. They were not allowed in. So I'm going to come back to this old style of marriage, this archaic 
ceremony that took place. Because it was a seven-day feast, but there was an eighth-day component. And this is partially what becomes very uncomfortable in our modern society. But I think it's important to understand because we have disregarded our bodies. We have disregarded the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have disregarded our hearts and our minds. And we have profaned the covenant that is made. There is an eighth day component. And we have an eighth day to this feast. And it's today is actually the last day of the feast, the seventh day. And the eighth day, that ever-elusive eighth day. And while I don't think that this is the only parallel, I think it fits. The eighth day, when the, the guests at this marriage feast are going home, is the day in which the faithfulness and purity of the bride is determined by the marriage bed. It's a very uncomfortable thought. But it's a powerful thing to understand. Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price and you are under a covenant, a blood covenant. We have made a covenant with the Lamb of God. When we are immersed in the water and we swear ourselves to him, we have made, we have accepted the price of redemption. And we have sworn that we will be faithful to the covenant that is made. Now I'm not going to delve into that aspect very much, but there are actually scriptures, particularly in Deuteronomy, that allude to these things. But we have that sacrifice. We have mercy. And the Lamb so loves his bride. He so loves Israel, those who walk with God, that he places his blood as a covering for our shame. First Peter 1.18 For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We have a calling. We have a calling to walk upright, to be faithful to the covenant that we have made. And I don't mean this to be a downer message. I mean it to be one of encouragement. We are bought with a price. And we have a responsibility to that. We have a responsibility to the blood that is shed for, in our place for our covering our purity before him. Just a few more things that we're going to get to before we wrap this up. We have a calling to walk upright, of course. We have a calling to hold to the covenant. 
I want to read James 1, verse 25. But whosoever looketh unto the perfect law of liberty, and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That is probably one of the most difficult things to do, to remain unspotted from the world. We have a friend that... Now, of course, he's a very old man, so he gets by with an awful lot of stuff. But he, he, one of his favorite sayings is to say, you cannot fall into a sewer and climb out and expect not to have something clinging to you. We live in a sewer, and we are expected to be white. We are expected to be holy. It's a very difficult task. Remember, you are bought with a price. You have sworn an oath. We are waiting for the day in which the bridegroom will come to fetch his bride. I gave a companion message to this for trumpets. Because this archaic ceremony that we, we've kind of disregarded, it falls in line so beautifully with all of the holy days. And I think we are waiting for that day that that trump shall sound and the father will say to his son, go fetch your bride, your house is ready. That is a day that we will rejoice. But there's also a lot of work to be done from that time, the time that the marriage feast is prepared. And I think that this feast, when we enter into it, we are entering in to the marriage feast of the Lamb at the beginning of his kingdom. It is a beautiful thing. It is a powerful thing. We are here. You are here because you were called. Because you were called in to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Because you made a covenant. And because you are upholding that covenant. I have one more verse to read. Revelation twenty two seventeen, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that hears say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. We are bought with a price. Our bodies are not our own. We have been given a token, a token of the kingdom that dwells in us, that is a sign that is a sign to the world that we are taken and that we belong to him. So I say to you, blessed are you who are called in to the marriage feast of the Lamb.